We'll just pray. Thank you, Father, that uh, you haven't left us here alone, that you, you poured out of yourself your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, that your Holy Spirit is, is with us, that your Holy Spirit is in us. Thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit um, give us eyes to see the goodness in your heart towards our lives, that your Holy Spirit can give us eyes to see that you're with us, even in us, constantly serving us with life, constantly preserving our lives from the, the calamity and the tribulation in the world, and always taking vengeance against the death and the darkness that tries to come against our lives. Thank you, Father, that uh, we're not orphans and that the, your Holy Spirit testifies of that in our hearts. Amen. Glory to God. Uh, there's a lot of things we, we, we could talk about. I kind of gotten sidetracked of where we will eventually end up going. Next week, um, I'm thinking that we're going to preach about God is our support group. And we'll talk about what it means that God is our support group. Um, because we all need support um, as we walk through this world. And the greatest support any of us are going to find is in God himself. And unfortunately, I think the, the religion um, in the world that's built on the traditions of man and the commandments of, of man, I think those things have led us in the place where we struggle to identify with God, right? And so if you can't identify with God, if you can't see yourself in the face of God and you don't think he sees himself in your face, you're going to have a hard time having God as your support group. Because one of the main characteristics of a support group is that you look around and you think all these people are like you. <laughs> Right. And that's where you find comfort. You find comfort in seeing they know. And so we'll we'll hit that probably next week. But but this week, I just felt compelled uh, because of some things that I've read online and some conversations I was a part of to to talk about the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so I just want to talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And more specifically, I want to talk about um, the conviction of sin or the phrase that's used in the scriptures, the conviction of sin. And we want to look at that term in light of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I think many times I grew up in certain veins of Christianity where when we thought about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we just thought about the power, right? You're going to have the power. And there's true that you have power, but the power isn't exactly like we thought, right? The power that comes from the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit's the spirit of life. And the power that's contained in the spirit of life is that that's a life that can't be overcome by death. And so it removes fear from your heart and it fills you with boldness. And you begin walking around in this earth with the keys of heaven, calling down the life that's in heaven into this earth, binding the effects of death in people's hearts as you walk through the earth. You're a witness of the resurrection. It says that they receive power from on high, dunamis, which meant boldness, which meant fearlessness to be witnesses of the resurrection, right? And so when we thought of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we were like, we're going to have power to cast out demons. We're going to have power to perform miracles, right? We're going to be like a magic man, and we're going to work magic. And listen, there are the gifts of the Spirit, and there are gifts of miracles, and you, can, you have authority over everything in this earth. You have authority over the serpents, right? And I don't mean pick up a physical serpent, but I mean you have authority over the serpent, the devil, that old dragon. And you have authority to cast out demons. And you have authority and there's gifts that come along with the Holy Spirit. But if you notice, Jesus said to the disciples when they came back rejoicing that they could perform all these miracles, Jesus said, I see Satan falling from the heaven. 
And then he said, don't rejoice that you have authority over these demons. Don't rejoice that you can perform miracles, but rather rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. Right? And so I think sometimes we lose sight of the primary function of the ministry of the Holy Spirit for the, the side, the sides, if you will. Right? The gifts of the Spirit are more like uh, the dessert or the french fries and not the main course of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Right? And so we, we want to take a look at what, what the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit's about. Um, and just for people that, that like to process through these things themselves and, and like to see how they can weigh these things with God, the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is very much like the ministry of Jesus. It's very much like the ministry of Jesus. In fact, you can see uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit by looking at the ministry of Jesus. And we're going to do some of that today. We'll, we'll talk about it, and then we'll just use a bunch of pictures um, and explain it. But notice Jesus said that he didn't come to speak of himself. He said he came to speak of the Father in John's gospel. He didn't come to give a testimony of himself, because if he testified of himself, his testimony meant nothing. But he came to testify of the Father. Right? Well, when he talks about the Holy Spirit, Jesus says he's going to send another like unto himself. Right? He's going to send another one that's like him. It's going to come and do the same things that he was doing. Right? And he says, the one that I will send, even the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, he will not speak of himself, but he will speak of me. And he will guide you into the place or reveal whatsoever things that I have revealed to you. And Jesus was talking to the disciples about they don't really understand what he's doing. They don't really understand what he's busy with. They just see this guy with them, and they weren't making a whole lot of connections about it. I think, was it Philip that said, show us the Father, and that will suffice? And what did Jesus say? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How long must I be with you, Philip? How long must I be with you guys before you guys see that the Father is in me and I'm in the Father? How long will you guys be with me before you know that everything I'm doing here is for the purpose of revealing the Father? Right? And so Jesus says the Holy Spirit will come and that Holy Spirit won't testify of themselves, but it will testify of Jesus and all the things that Jesus um, came to reveal. And so ultimately, when you think about the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, ultimately the, Ho the Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh for the purpose of guiding mankind and guiding people into the place where they have eyes to see God with them. And they have eyes to see that God has taken thought of them to give their lives the kind of care that we need so that we could be filled with peace and love and joy. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is for the purpose of healing the blind. And I don't mean healing the blind in the sense of physical blindness. I mean the blindness of our hearts where like Jesus said, no one has seen the Father but the Son, and He has come to declare Him. And so the ministry of the Holy Spirit very much follows in line with what John chapter 1 says about Jesus, that people do not see the Father, that the people are standing in darkness. And because they're standing in darkness, their understanding about God has been darkened. They can't comprehend God. They don't see into the depths of God's heart. They can't see everlasting Father. 
And so the Holy Spirit poured out into the earth to open our eyes so that we could see God with us, so that we could see God with us being a father to our lives. We could see that we weren't left to take thought of our own lives. We weren't left as orphans in the earth trying to care for our own lives, but where we would have eyes to see that God has taken thought to care for our life. And look what God has done to come and care for our life, exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask or think when he raised Jesus from the dead. And so that, the Holy Spirit is trying to guide you into the place where your heart would just cry out, Abba, Father, which is what Paul comes and says in Romans 8, that we have been given the spirit of adoption. That's the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit guides us into the place where we see God as Father. Seeing God as Father doesn't just mean, well, uh, He created all things. Even the devils believe God created all things, and I promise you they don't call God Father. To call God Father means that you see that His heart is filled with only goodness towards your life. It means that you see the thoughts that He has towards your life are thoughts of peace. What the Hebrew word would be shalom. Thoughts to serve you with the life that will give you a certainty that you will overcome the death and the corruption and the tribulation in this world. That's what it means to call God Father. When Jesus was on the cross, he was stripped naked, and the death of the world had come upon him, and he needed someone to care for his life. And he didn't take one thought to care for his own life. The reason why is because he had the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gave him eyes to see the Father is with you, the Father is in you, the Father will uphold your life, the Father will even pick you up out of the grave and clothe upon you with the life that can never die and seat you at his right hand in the heavenly place. Hallelujah. That's why Jesus cried out, Abba. He had the spirit of adoption. He didn't have the spirit of fear. He didn't think I'm an orphan when he was nailed to the tree. You know what an orphan thinks? An orphan thinks that they're in the world all alone. I'm all alone in the cold, heartless, little world. What do you think happens to a human being when they think they're the only ones left? That no one sees themselves in their face. That no one loves them. That no one's taking thought of their life and where they're sleeping at night or whether they have food or whether they have what they need to survive. What do you think happens to a person that is living in that place? They start taking thought of caring for their own life. And when you start taking thought of caring for your own life, you're living by the sweat of your brow, which is what Genesis says is the cursed life. You're busy trying to gather life to yourself by your own strength, by your own works. And that's the foundation from where all the works of the flesh that none of us like start coming forth. And so Jesus didn't have the spirit of fear. He didn't think he was an orphan even when the world nailed him to a tree. He had the spirit of adoption whereby he could see the father was with him, that the father had prepared a table full of life for him, even in the midst of the death that had surrounded him. And that's why he cried out, Abba. He cried out, Abba, because he saw Abba with him. And I know our theology has tried to create the picture of Jesus on the cross as if the father wasn't with him. But you can go and read, I think it's John 16, where Jesus said, now the hour has come where everyone will be scattered from me. And it will look like I'm alone. But I won't be alone because the Father will be with me, he says. Now he was talking about the cross. And so the Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh ultimately to give us eyes to see that we're not alone. That the Father is with us. Because guys, most of you are old enough by now. In fact, everyone is. You've all figured out there's times where you felt alone in this world, isn't it? 
There's times where you felt abandoned in this world, isn't it? We've all felt that feeling of being an orphan, that no one cares for our life. The Holy Spirit was given so that our blindness could be healed, and we would start to have eyes to see God with us, being the Father that we need. So instead of us taking up our own life, we would start connecting to the God who took up our lives for us when he raised Jesus from the dead, never to be able to die again. Hallelujah. Right? That just said a whole lot of mouthfuls. And I know I talk like two times speed for all you guys. Um, But go back and listen to that. And the reason I pray at the beginning and the reason I pray at the end, part of the reason is because your ability to be ministered to isn't just found in your intellect. It's found in the Holy Spirit that's in you, processing with you as we speak, right? And so the Holy Spirit will process and it's on recording so you can go back um, and listen. We're going to take our main text from John 16, and I am going to read from the King James, just because that's the one I always read from. You can read from whichever one you like, and then I'm going to highlight a couple other versions. Um, But John chapter 16, verse 5. And Jesus is talking to the disciples about when he's going to go. He just finished telling those guys that they're going to be brought into the synagogue and flogged <laughs> and persecuted. And, and he, he, he tells them, listen, the people that will do that to you, they'll actually think they're doing it in the name of God. Right? That they'll think they're doing God a favor as if they're standing up for God. But the reason they're doing it is because they don't know the Father and they don't know me. So how will they know you? Right? Listen, man, if, if it's religion, I don't know if we realize this, but it wasn't the, the destitute of the world or the quote-unquote unbelievers in God that crucified the king of glory. It was people who claimed God. The people who crucified the Lord of glory were people who claimed God. It wasn't the atheists that crucified the Lord of glory. The atheists didn't want nothing to do with it. It was the people who claimed God but didn't know God at all that crucified the Lord of glory. And I promise you, if you're walking with the Lord of glory and you're resting in the Father and the work that he's done to serve you with life, you will encounter that same religious spirit in this earth. And they will come to persecute you and they'll do it thinking they're doing it in the name of God, right? But they don't know the scriptures and they do greatly err not knowing the scriptures. Like Jesus said to the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees had the scriptures memorized. But then Jesus shows up, and he's what the scriptures were all pointing to. And they didn't know him when he stood there. And so, man, Jesus is telling these disciples, listen, guys, if I'm not avoiding persecution, you ain't going to avoid it either. But listen, when the people persecute you, they think they're doing God a favor, right? And so, man, find some compassion in your heart for them and just declare the truth. But John 16, verse 5, But now I go my way to him that sent me. This is Jesus talking. And none of you ask me, where am I going? (laughs) He's like, you guys are missing the point here. You're like filled with sadness because I'm telling you I go. But what you really ought to be thinking about is where am I going? Because that was filled with great joy for you. (laughs) But none of you ask me, where am I going? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow has filled your heart. You know, real quick, Jesus called the Holy Spirit the comforter. Well, these people felt great comfort with Jesus with them. And so when he said he was going, all these people could think about was they would be left comfortless. 
that that which was comforting them while they walked in the earth was now going to be gone. You have to remember that these disciples had watched Jesus forgiving sin. And they had watched Jesus sending sin away from people. And it wasn't just words, because when he said your sin is forgiven you, they watched people being healed. Now, these Jewish guys knew one thing, even these fishermen. They knew that only God possesses the power to forgive sin. And so they may not have understood everything that they were watching but, and, and how to explain it, but I guarantee you they felt comforted when Jesus was with them because they saw in Jesus was a life that overcomes sin. And so as long as Jesus was there, they were okay. They didn't feel like an orphan, right? They felt like somebody cares about their life. Look at what this guy is doing. And so the moment Jesus is talking about going away, they're busy thinking, oh, there goes our comfort. What are we going to do now? The next time we're in a storm, we won't have Jesus there to make the storm still in our hearts. The next time we encounter death, we won't have Jesus there to send the death away from us. What are we going to do? Right? Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. It's actually better for you if I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin, which all the translations translate that. When he is come, he will convict the world of sin. Okay? And of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Now listen, he's given you a spoiler about the ministry of the Holy Spirit right there. He just said the comforter will come. And when he has come, this is what he's going to be doing. He's going to be getting down like this, okay? I have many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. How be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and show it, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. What he's basically saying there, and all that fancy wording, is that the Father has given all of himself into me. All of the Father has manifested in me. And the Holy Spirit will come and show you the Father by showing you me or guiding you into everything that was revealed in me. That's what he's saying there. Now, the King James translates it um, reproving of sin. But if you look at the Amplified Translation, if you look at the ASV, the American Standard Version, um, if you look at the modern King James, just to take a few, and most of the other translations, they translate that phrase. Um, they take the words of Jesus when he says the Holy Spirit will reprove the world of sin, and they translate that into the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin. Now, straight away, when I say the word convict, you guys already decided what that word means. Because you all know that word. And so no one has to come and explain that word to you because you already know what that means. And the reason why I said at the beginning, I'm going to cause you cognitive dissonance because what that word means to all of us is not the manner in which that word is being used in this context, right? When we all think of the word convict, well, we think of like a dude being convicted for a crime, being punished. 
We think of somebody being smacked down. We think of somebody being incarcerated. We think of something negative. We do not think of something positive happening to their life. We think of the worst kind of thing that could ever happen to someone's life when we hear they've been convicted. That's what we think of the moment we hear that. And what's happened is, is churchianity has hijacked phrases like this, the conviction of sin. And what we've done is we've taken the ministry of the Holy Spirit and we've described the ministry of the Holy Spirit that's in a way that's more consistent with our definition of conviction. And so when we think of the Holy Spirit, we got ideas in our hearts that we've been taught by well-intentioned people that the conviction of the Holy Spirit is every time you act up, every time you do something bad, every time you got some behavior in your life that isn't exactly right, every time you've been a bad little boy or a bad little girl, the Holy Spirit is there to make you feel guilty. I mean, that's what it sounds like to me, right? The conviction of sin. That's what it looks like to me. Well, listen. The conviction of sin is not about the Holy Spirit making you feel guilty because you've done a bad thing. And that word sin there isn't talking about bad behavior. That's not what it's talking about. And if we understood the dynamics of what brings forth the works of the flesh in people, we would never think that word sin there is talking about bad behavior. When God sees bad behavior, what we call bad behavior in somebody's life, he sees it as the branches. He doesn't see it as the root or the vine. So when he's thinking about how am I going to set somebody free from the works of the flesh in their life, he's not thinking about picking the bad fruit off the branches. He's thinking about taking an ax to the root of what's causing that bad fruit to manifest in their life. We don't think like that. We just see the fruit that's manifesting in their life. We know it ain't right. And then we take we act accordingly. Right. Well, that's kind of what we, the methodology that we've implemented concerning the Holy Spirit. When we see the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin. And we don't understand that word sin there is talking about unbelief. It's not talking about bad behavior. It's talking about the Holy Spirit coming and removing unbelief from our heart. That's what it's talking about. Because whatever bad behavior we see in people's lives that we don't like, I promise you the root of it is unbelief. The root of it is, is that they're living like an orphan. They're living like they don't have a father that will serve them with life. And they're trying to gather life to themselves. Well, within your ability is not the power to bring forth life. So the more you enlist your ability to try to gather life to yourself, the more you're going to see the works of the flesh come out of you. And so the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the conviction of sin, is about how the Holy Spirit's going to come and show up and heal your blindness and open your eyes to see the goodness in God's heart towards your life to serve you with a life that can't die. And when you see that God's with you to do a work to give you life, you rest from your own works. And when you rest from your own works and your flesh is put to rest, then this flesh isn't laboring to produce life. And so then this flesh can't produce the fruit of death. And so even if we wanted to say, how are we going to get free from bad behavior? Jesus said he came to clean the inside of the cup, not the outside of the cup. Well, the Holy Spirit is like the ministry of Jesus. He come to clean the inside of the cup. And yes, once the inside of the cup is clean, the outside of the cup follows. But you don't come chastising people for the outside of the cup. You look at what the problem is in their heart and you come to work with their heart to heal their heart. And the problem in human beings' heart is that we were living like we were orphans. Adam was trying to clothe himself with life. And the more he tried to clothe himself, the more he was still naked. Well, our problem was like Adam. Adam couldn't see God was with him. 
Adam couldn't comprehend the goodness in God's heart towards his life. Adam didn't have the spirit of adoption. Adam had the spirit of fear. And so he was blind to the goodness of God's heart towards him. He couldn't see that God would draw near to him and provide himself a lamb that would remove the body of death from Adam. He couldn't see that God was there with him and that God was taking thought to clothe upon him with the life of his lamb. And so he started trying to clothe himself. And when he tried to clothe himself, guess what? He can't clothe himself. And the more he tried to clothe himself with this flesh, the more he produced thorns and thistles. And so what the Holy Spirit would come and do, it'd be like, bro, you ain't got to take up your own life. God has taken up your life when he raised Jesus from the dead and sat Jesus at his right hand. And the Holy Spirit would come and reveal that to you. So you would no longer be living like an orphan, thinking that you got to provide yourself with life. But you would start living like a son or like a daughter, knowing that the Father is with you to serve you with the life you need. So every time you encounter lack in this world, every time this world comes and nails you to a tree, instead of you thinking you got to clothe yourself, instead of you thinking you have to justify yourself, what happens is, is you start looking to the justification that God gave you when he gave you his life. And that puts your flesh to rest. Listen, I no longer get caught up in strife and arguing with people. It's not because there's something good about me, but it's because I don't try to justify myself to people anymore. You know why I don't try to justify myself to people anymore? Because the Holy Spirit showed me I'm not an orphan. And the Holy Spirit has showed me that God already justified me. So what do I care if people judge me and don't like me? That's fine if they do that. Oh, hallelujah, because I've received the honor that comes from God. And so I'm not worried about the honor that could come from a human being. But if I was worried about the honor that could come from a human being, do you know what would happen to me? I would start fighting with them and I would start trying to tear them down so I could prove that I was good. You see? You see how that works? So the conviction of sin is not about the Holy Spirit making you feel guilty because you've done a bad thing. It's not about the Holy Spirit accusing you. I don't know if we realize it, but Satan is called the accuser. And we've described the Holy Spirit as if he was Satan. <laughs> and we wonder why we struggle. I mean, we've confused God and the devil. I mean, honestly, we have. I mean, even in our insurance, right? It says an act of God. As if a hurricane in the earth is the result of God. But it says the earth was defiled by man. Adam brought death into the earth, not God. And the death he brought into the earth came from the serpent. And now we blame God. And so the ministry of the Holy Spirit does not look like the ministry of the serpent. And so it's not about the Holy Spirit accusing us. It's not about God finding fault with people's bad behavior. And now he sends the Holy Spirit to uncover people's nakedness and make them feel guilty for what they've done. That's not what the Holy Spirit is doing. And if you read in the context of the verses. Guys, I know we struggle to, to keep in mind the context. We have those numbers and those chapters and we read one and we close the book, like that's the end of that book and now we on to the next book. But immediately before Jesus described the Holy Spirit convicting of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, immediately before Jesus said that, do you know how he describes the Holy Spirit? He calls the Holy Spirit the Comforter. So he's given us a big precursor to what all these things he mentions next are all about. If he calls the Holy Spirit the Comforter, and in his, he begins his discourse by calling the Holy Spirit the Comforter, 
What happens after that, when he talks about the conviction of sin and the conviction of righteousness and the conviction of judgment, what happens after that is he's describing all the things that the Holy Spirit does to minister comfort to us. The whole purpose there is that this is what the Holy Spirit will do to minister comfort to you. This is how he's going to bring comfort to you. And again, here comes the cognitive dissonance. He's going to minister comfort to you through the conviction of sin, through the conviction of righteousness, and through the conviction of judgment. All that word conviction, immediately we feel pain. The conviction of sin is part of the Holy Spirit's ministry to comfort people. So what you want to happen inside of you is the question to come up, well, how's that? And I'm going to go into a bunch of things, but in your own personal relationship with God, you should ask God that question. Because it's fine for me to say things to you, but rather hear it straight from God. How does the conviction of sin comfort me, Lord? I must have a, a different understanding of what sin is and what conviction is. If the conviction of sin is with the intent to, to comfort me, right? And some of you might say, well, if the Holy Spirit, if it's not the Holy Spirit that's making me feel guilty and ashamed when I do something bad, then how come I feel shame and guilt when I do something wrong? That's why we think it's true, right? Because we all, we could feel that thing on the inside, and then we think, well, that must be the Holy Spirit. Well, listen, guys, when Adam ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, his man, he stained mankind's conscience with the knowledge of good and evil. Do you know what the knowledge of good and evil is? It means that every human being knows the difference between life and death. Every human being knows the difference between the fruit of life and the fruit of death. And so we all know what the fruit of death looks like. And in the day we see the fruit of death manifesting in our life, our hearts judge that to be evil. And our hearts will judge us to be evil if we have this fruit manifesting in our lives. And now the world comes and says fancy things like, well, not everybody feels that, brother. They're serial killers and they don't, they don't feel nothing. Listen, man. That's a lie. I've seen videos. I've watched interviews with serial killers, and I've watched them cry. And I, one particular one I've mentioned several times, you can search it out on YouTube, where the guy had brutalized like 19 women and killed them. And so you know when they get to the end of the case, they let the family members come up and vent, right? Because the world is trying to help them have peace. And the way they're going to have peace is by venting on this guy. Well, every, one by one, everybody got up and just tore into this guy and lost their mind. And I can understand why that would happen. But the last guy that got up was an old guy. And the guy had killed his daughter. And the guy's wife had died. All he had in this world was that girl. And you could see the guy, like, standing there. And you know it's the Holy Spirit in that guy that did this. But that guy was like, sir? He called him sir. Now, this guy brutalized the only thing he had in the world. Sir? My God says I should forgive you. you make th you've made that very difficult. And you could see his chin shaking. And then he told the guy. And immediately when he started saying that, the guy didn't look at anybody through the course. He didn't, ah, who cares what you say. The moment that guy said that, you see the serial killer look over there. And then the dad told the guy, I forgive you. And you watched that serial killer's chin start shaking and you watched a tear come down his eye. You think he didn't know what he was doing was evil? His conscience told him it was evil. He knew very well it was evil. Why do you think he's hiding it? Serial killers know what they're doing is evil. That's why they're hiding it. If they didn't think it was evil, they wouldn't be hiding it. They would just do it right out in the open. Catch me. 
Here I am doing it. And so when Adam brought the, tr the knowledge of good and evil into the earth, all of our conscience became corrupt corrupted with the knowledge of good and evil. That's why Paul says in Romans 3 that the Gentiles who didn't have the law, it's not the law that told us the difference between good and evil. Paul said the Gentiles who don't have the law, their conscience accused them. Or their conscience bear witness to them of what is good and what is evil. Their conscience testifies to what is the fruit of death and what is the fruit of life. That is in your conscience. Nobody had to teach you about that. We all know what's evil the moment we see it. And if we think something that's evil and inconsistent with life is manifesting in us, we could feel it. And we could feel ashamed and we could feel guilty. That doesn't mean it's the Holy Spirit doing that to you. Does that make any sense? The Greek word comforter. I mean, since Jesus called the Holy Spirit the comforter, he did that because he's trying to describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit to us. This is what the Greek word for comforter means. I'm just going to run through them all straight from the scriptures, the Greek word for comforter. It means intercessor, consoler, advocate, summoned, called to one side, especially called to one's aid. So the conviction of sin is about the Holy Spirit aiding you. Okay? One who pleads another's cause. A pleader, counsel for defense, legal assistant, and advocate. One who pleads another cause with one. An intercessor, in the widest sense, a helper, securer, aider, assistant. That's the word comforter there. Now, how much of that had to do with our definition of convicting? Zero. You know, if you don't really know who the Holy Spirit is or what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in your life, you'll struggle to hear and you'll struggle to see the Holy Spirit working. And if you have a perverted view of the Holy Spirit, you'll all the time be experiencing the perverted view of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so we want to have our eyes open to how the Holy Spirit is even with us and ministering to us and what the Holy Spirit is trying to do so that we could know the Holy Spirit. You know, you can't have intimacy with someone if you don't know them, right? Like I saw my wife from afar in Colorado. We worked in the same building and I saw her for years before I ever talked to her. I mean, I saw her and so I knew of her, but I didn't know her. There was no intimacy. But then we started to date and we got married and I know her. Now, it's the same way with the Holy Spirit. The church has been in the place where we know there's a such thing as the Holy Spirit. We heard about the Holy Spirit. We see it in the scriptures, but we haven't known the Holy Spirit. And because we haven't known the Holy Spirit, we haven't been intimacy, have been intimate with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We've been more intimate with the accuser of the brethren, thinking every time we do bad, the Holy Spirit is there to tell us about what bad little boys and girls we are. Right. That's the Holy Spirit would come to defend you in that place. He would come to defend you against the voice telling you what a bad little boy and girl you are. The Holy Spirit would show up in that place and it would know the reason why the fruit of death is coming out of you is because you've lost sight that God's your father. You've lost sight that God's with you to clothe you with the life of his lamb and you're trying to clothe yourself. And so the Holy Spirit would come beside you and he would tell you that God is there with you to serve you with the life you need. God has given you a life that doesn't lack. God has given you a life that superabounds over the lack so that you would stop trying to satisfy the lack you feel yourself. That's how he would aid you. Glory to God. So in the same context, 
Well, Jesus says the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. In that same context, Jesus describes the sin. You notice how we read our own definitions of the word sin in there when we read it too? Like we read that word sin and immediately we're thinking of uh, backbiting, gossiping, murdering, fornication, drunkenness. I mean, we're reading all those things in there. But Jesus defines the sin. He says the Holy Spirit convicts us of unbelief. He says because they do not believe on me. So what does it mean to believe on Jesus? Man, I think if we, not this church, but I think if we surveyed the church worldwide, I think there'd be a lot of confusion about what it means to believe on Jesus. Because Jesus said he didn't come to speak of himself, he came to speak of the Father. So what does it mean to believe on Jesus? If you look in John's gospel previously to him making these statements about the Holy Spirit, Jesus says he came to speak of the Father. He came to reveal the Father. He didn't come to reveal himself. Jesus also says in John's gospel, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so the whole purpose of Jesus' ministry was that no one had seen the Father. And all of our understanding about the Father had been darkened. And so Jesus came to show us the Father. That's the whole point of his ministry. Because we were not believing in the goodness of the Father towards our lives. And so we were living like orphans. And so Jesus came to reveal to us that the Father's heart is filled with righteousness towards our life. That the Father has taken thought of our life. And he's taken thought to care for our life. And he wants to serve us with his life, which will give us a certainty that we have all things. And so Jesus came to reveal that. The whole Gospel of John is centered around Jesus revealing the goodness in the Father's heart towards sinners. Towards sinners. And that that goodness in the Father's heart towards sinners manifests itself in a way where he serves them with a life that superabounds over death. That's why he says God so loved the world that he sent his son. Guys, the world there was a bunch of sinners. None of us were righteous. All of us had walked out of the way. All of us were bearing the tree and the fruit of death. All of us were like animals walking around in the earth. And in that place, God looked at us and loved us. God looked at us and said, they're mine. And so he sent his son to reveal the goodness in his heart in the midst of the earth so that we could have our sight healed and unbelief could be removed from our hearts. And we would no longer be living like we were orphans trying to give ourselves life, only producing death. But we would start knowing that God is with us as the father of our life and he served us with the life that overcomes death. So that every time we feel lack, every time the world comes and points at the destruction in our life, we would find something in our heart where we would respond back, that's not my life. That's my life. You know what happens when you see the Father's life is your life? You're made to lie down in the tender green grass. You're led beside the still waters of grace. It stills the storms of this earth. And you find something in your heart saying, I lack nothing. That's the whole point there. So when Jesus says they do not believe on me, not believing on Jesus is unbelief in the Father's righteousness towards your life. Forget about your righteousness. The Holy Spirit come to convince us of the Father's righteousness towards us. That he's the good Samaritan. That when he found us left for dead, beaten and bloodied on the side of the road by the thief, that he came and picked us up 
and fills us with the wine of his life and prepared a place for us in his house for all eternity. That's the point. Not believing in that picture of the Father is what it means not to believe on Jesus. It's unbelief in the Father's goodness towards your life. It's unbelief. It's not knowing. Like Jeremiah says, what does God say in Jeremiah? I know the thoughts that I have for you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace to give you a hope, a confident expectation of a good end so that you're put to rest and you're not trying to give yourself a good end, right? That's unbelief. You can still believe God exists. You can still believe Jesus is quote-unquote the Messiah. But if you don't know what those things are declaring, then you could completely be dwelling in unbelief in areas of your heart. You might have eternal salvation, but what I realize is glory to God that I got eternal salvation, but I want to experience the abundant life now. If God's my father now, then I want the life I'm experiencing now to be fathered by him and not fathered by this world or fathered by myself. And that comes from the revelation that Jesus tried to bring into the earth, right? Jesus was concerned about life now and forevermore. He wasn't just like one day in the sweet by and by. He came that we might experience the love of the father now. Hallelujah. And so that's what the conviction of sin is about. This is a great definition of the conviction of sin. It's about the Holy Spirit helping the blind to see. To convict of unbelief means to heal someone's sight by bringing to light the goodness in God's heart towards them. It's about comforting people from the torment that comes when they don't see the goodness in God's heart towards them and they think they're an orphan. That's what it's about. That's the conviction of sin. If we look at Adam, since we brought up Adam, if we look at the first man, Adam, in Genesis 3, he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there he is, he sees his nakedness. Well, what did he think about God when he saw his nakedness? What did he think about God's thoughts and intents towards him when he saw his nakedness? Wasn't good. In fact, he thought God was filled with anger and that God was ashamed of him. And that's why he started trying to clothe himself. And that's why he went and hid. But God shows up, and what does God do? He clothes him. And he says, who told you you were naked? And so Adam was in unbelief. What we could say is, is he was not believing on Jesus. Well, you're thinking, but Jesus hadn't come into the earth yet. But the Christ always was. And so what it means is when Adam ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the darkness came upon his sight. And he couldn't see the goodness in God's heart anymore. His understanding about God and his intentions towards him were darkened by the death he saw in himself. He couldn't comprehend that God was with him. He couldn't see that God would provide himself a lamb that would remove death from him. He couldn't see that God would clothe upon him with the life of his lamb. And so he started trying to clothe upon himself. The conviction of sin can be seen in that example with Adam. And do you know what the conviction of sin looks like in that example? Adam was tormented with fear. And then God convict him of sin. God come in to remove his unbelief. And the way that he did it was by clothing him. You think that I'm not going to be your father anymore because you sinned. Well, here I am as everlasting father. Bam! That's the conviction of sin. 
Adam's in unbelief, and God come to remove his unbelief by revealing himself as everlasting father. Everlasting means with perpetuity. It means he's not going to be a father to your life when you're a good boy or girl. He's going to be father to you always. When he finds you naked and dead in your sin, he's not going to abandon you. The psalmist said, even should you make your bed in hell, I will be with you. The Lord is there with me. So the conviction of sin was God drew near to Adam when Adam thought God abandoned him. That, you think that comforted Adam? When Adam thought he was an orphan and he thought he's just naked and he can't clothe himself, you think Adam felt torment in that situation? What do you think comforted Adam when God did what? Showed up and clothed him. What else do you think that told Adam? God is my father. I'm not an orphan. Look, he clothed me. Even after I ate from the tree, he said not to eat from. Certainly, if he was ever going to abandon me, it would have been then. And look, this guy came and found me and didn't despise me and didn't reject me, but clothed me. Oh, man. That healed his unbelief. It restored his sight. It healed his blindness. You see? Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1 and 2. Now, this, this has multiple applications. It, it's speaking to a certain point of Israel's history, but it's also speaking prophetically of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1 and 2. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now listen, guys, when you look at that in the Hebrew, listen, God doesn't give people double for their sins. That would make God unjust. <laughs> in fact, God's not the one that gives people punishment for their sin. Within sin is the punishment of death. The wages of sin is death. It doesn't need an assist from God. Sin produces death without God's help. We've described God as if him and sin are in cahoots. It's sin that gives people death. The gift God has in his hand to give is eternal life. And when you look at that in the Hebrew, what the scripture is saying is speak comfortably to my people. Tell my people that there's a grace in my hand that superabounds above their iniquity. That where their iniquity was tormenting them and warring against them with death. The grace in my hand superabounds over their iniquity with the life that will even war against the death that's coming against them. That's why it speak comfortably to them. Within God is a life that even abounds over death. And so many times, man, we could do things that bring death to our lives. And we could feel forsaken by God. And we could feel like God's abandoned us. But man, we know within God is a life that overcomes sin even. And we start to see in that place where we failed, we start to see God's not against us when we failed. He understands why we could have done what we've done. He sees deep into our hearts. And he knows what we need is a revelation of Abba, not a revelation that he's far from us. He knows the reason why we could even do this is because we think we're orphans. So the answer is to come and convince us we're not orphans. Orphans. And the way he convinces us we're not orphans is that when he finds us being bruised and beaten by the death and the sin that we committed, he comes and wars against the death that's warring against us. And then he sends his Holy Spirit into the earth. Speak comfortably to my people. 
Tell them I've accomplished their warfare. That where death was warring against them, I have warred against death inside of the body of Jesus' resurrection. The wages of sin is death. Death is in the earth. Death is warring against us. Death is tormenting us. Death is trying to tell us, where's your God now? Death is trying to tell us we don't have a father. Death is trying to get us to take up our own life. God sends the Holy Spirit when he sat Jesus down at the right hand. Speak comfortably to my people. Tell them that where their sin was red as crimson, I have made it as white as snow in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. That I have consumed the death that was warring against them to the uttermost when I raised him up out of the grave in a body free from death, free from sin, never to die again. Hallelujah. That will comfort the people. They'll see I'm father and that I'm with them to smack down that death. Hallelujah. And then we won't be in unbelief when we see death. We'll have eyes to see the father is with me, even in me. My life is in him and he's in me. Oh, hallelujah. And then what'll happen is you'll find yourself experiencing a life like the life that came out of Stephen. That when they come to kill you and they surround you to take your life, you find something in you where you see the Father is with you. And you're not concerned about your life because you see the Father has taken thought for your life. You're more concerned about the life of the people who come to kill you and you pray for them. <laughs> I'm telling you, it will change everything. You have eyes to see the Father with you. I mean, like you see the Father with you. The Holy Spirit come to give you that. It sees what's keeping you from seeing the Father with you. It's working all the time to remove it. Everything that you think ails your life, it's all connected to an area where you don't see the Father with you. That you think you got to be a father to your own life. And because of that, it's got things going on where you're trying to serve yourself with life. So the Holy Spirit sees where you need the ministry at, to where you could have eyes to see the Father. Mm. <laughs> uh, speak comfortably to my people. Bring comfort to my people. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is, imagine a huddle, like a football huddle. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit huddling up. And Jesus appeared into the heavenly place, having rested in the Father's love, and the Father sitting him down at the right hand. It's like the leg to a relay race. I ran track and field, and they have relays where you hand a baton. Well, Jesus runs the first leg, right? And he ascends into the heavenly place, and the baton is handed off to the Holy Spirit. And now the Father is talking with the Holy Spirit. Speak comfortably to my people. Show them what I've done through my Christ to utterly destroy their fellowship with sin and death and corruption. Guide them in the place where they could see the righteous thing I've done to serve them with the life that superabounds over sin and death. And they will know me as Father. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think what's happened, some people could disagree with me, I would even disagree with myself, but I think that the woman caught in the act of adultery has quickly become one of my favorite examples. And what I realize is I could preach every aspect of the gospel from the woman caught in the act of adultery. There's many things you could say about that. Um, just to maybe, some of you guys have heard me talk about this a lot, but to give you another wrinkle, the woman caught in the act of adultery is not just talking about that woman and her committing physical adultery. 
If you read in the Old Testament, it talks about Israel and mankind having committed adultery on God. And they didn't commit adultery on God by laying with some physical person. They committed adultery on God because they fornicated with the works of their own hands. They were intimate with their own strength, trying to produce the fruit of God's life instead of being intimate with his strength. And so the woman caught in the act of adultery was a picture of all of Israel and a picture of all mankind. We were all caught in the act of adultery. And so when you read the account of the woman caught in the act of adultery, you're not just supposed to see this woman. If that's the beginning of what you see, oh, hallelujah. But you're supposed to then see yourself in that place and see how God will be with you when he finds you in that place. But the woman caught in the act of adultery, that account there is a great illustration of the conviction of sin. In fact, it's a perfect illustration of what the conviction of sin is, and it's no accident that it happens eight chapters before Jesus talks about the conviction of sin. And in fact, at the end of the account of the woman caught in the act of adultery, do you know what he says? Go and sin no more. And I promise you, when he's saying go and sin no more, that word sin there, he defines later when he says of sin because they believe not on me or they're in unbelief towards the Father's goodness towards them. So Jesus, in the account of the woman caught in the act of adultery, that woman was not believing in the goodness of God towards her life. She was in unbelief. And because she was in unbelief, she was fornicating with the strength in her own hand to try to produce life. And that was bringing forth all types of the works of the flesh. And then there she stood with the sentence of death hanging over her head, with all of the accusers standing there accusing her, condemning her to death. There she stood. In her heart, she thought it was God who condemned her for her sin. In her heart, she was blind. She couldn't see the goodness of God. It's no secret or it's no accident that right after the woman caught in the act of adultery, God heals a blind guy. I say God because Jesus is God. Right after that account, he heals a blind person. What is he trying to tell us? The woman was blind. She thought she was an orphan. She thought God despised her for her sin. She thought she was all alone in the cold, heartless little world. She needed that sin of unbelief to be convicted or for her to be convinced that God was with her. And you know how God convinced her? There's Jesus. He's the word that was made flesh. He is God. And what does he do? He stands next to the woman as her what? Advocate. And who does he advocate for her against? The accusers. He's not the one accusing He's not there to accuse. He wasn't there to find fault with her sin. He wasn't there to point at her bad behavior and make her feel shame or guilt. He wasn't there condemning her. In fact, all those things were already present when he showed up. But what was he there to do? Heal her sight. He knew why she was doing what she was doing. She doesn't know the goodness in the father's heart towards her life. She can't see him. The death in the world has darkened her understanding. She's blind. We about to bring to light everlasting father right here with her. We about to open her eyes to the goodness in God's heart towards her. What does he do? He removes the sentence of death that's hanging over her. And he removes the accusers. And then what does he say? Neither do I condemn you. She needed a father. 
She needed her life to be cared for. And she had very specific needs. She had a sentence of death hanging over her. She was dying. She had people accusing her, gnawing at her. The bulls of Bashan, as the Psalm 22 says, had encompassed her, mocking her, spitting on her, calling for her death. And the death was reigning over her. She needed someone. She needed someone to care for her life. She needed a father. And there's Jesus to be everlasting father, mighty God, wonderful counselor, prince of peace. And he manifested himself as all those things right in her midst to heal her sight, to remove unbelief from her heart. So when he says, go and sin no more, he's saying, go and no longer live in the earth as if you're an orphan. Go and no longer live in the earth as if the father's the one despising you or uncovering your nakedness. The father hasn't come and pointed out your nakedness. The father is with you to clothe your nakedness. That's the conviction of sin. She was being tormented. He comforted her with the revelation of the Father. He gave her the true knowledge of God. <laughs> That's the conviction of sin. You can even say it this way. The conviction of sin is with the intent to give you the knowledge of the Father. That's the intent. Uh. Does that make any sense? Go and sin no more. That's the conviction of sin. What's sin? unbelief in the father's goodness towards you you were blind to it before but i just showed it to you go and no longer be blind to the father's goodness right after that jesus stands up in the middle of the temple and he says i'm the light of the world what do you think that means to jewish people he's standing up and declaring himself to be god i'm the word about god and how he will be with sinners and i've come here to heal your unbelief that's the conviction of sin all those people were believing God condemned sinners. All those people were believing that. And because of that, they were filled with unbelief. If you believe God's the one that condemns sinners, guess what? You ain't coming to God till after you think you cleaned yourself up. And then you become a whitewashed sepulcher where you try to make the outside of the cup clean. All the while, the inside of the cup is filled with lust and lack. Like I said, Jesus went right on after to heal the blind guy. What's he saying when he heals the blind guy? You guys, it's, again, it's not about this one guy that's blind. We were all blind. None of us saw the Father. John's gospel begins with. It's so funny, we get to the blind guy and we think, oh, it's this one blind guy. And we think the whole point is he's going to heal a guy from physical blindness. And he can heal a guy from physical blindness. But John begins his gospel by saying the whole world was blind. No one was knowing the Father. And so Jesus heals the blind guy. Who sinned, they say, that this guy should be born blind? You know what Jesus says in the Greek? That's got nothing to do with this me coming upon the blind guy, but that you might see the glory of God. Boom. You know what he's saying? You guys are all in unbelief. I'm about to convict your sin. You guys are all thinking God's the one that made this guy blind. But that you might know that God doesn't make blind. He heals the blind. Boom. That's why he goes right on after to say it's the thief that steals, kills, and destroys. They all thought God was the one stealing and killing and destroying them because of their sin. Jesus says it's the thief doing these things to you. And now you've seen that God's the one doing it because you're blind. When I am come, I am come to serve you with life and life more abundantly. You know what that life more abundantly is? It's a life that abounds over death. It's a life that isn't subject to death. 
It's a life that even should it encounter death, it will swallow it. I am God here. Right in your midst. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And you think it's the Father that steals, kills, and destroys. But I'm here to show you that the gift the Father has in his hand to give you is eternal life. A life that even abounds over death. It removes death. It removes the accusations that stood against you. That was Jesus accomplishing our warfare. Sin was causing death to reign over that woman. Sin was causing death to reign over all of us. And Jesus came to comfort us by warring against the death and the accusation that was warring against us so that we could be comforted by the knowledge of God with us. Which is what John begins his gospel again by saying, and the word was made flesh and tabernacled with us. Do you know what that means? That's the same language used in the Old Testament for God with us. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. Oh, by the way, the word was God and the word became flesh and tabernacled with us. Why? Because we were blind. We couldn't see the goodness of the Father towards us. And now we see God with us in the person of Jesus Christ. And we see he doesn't make blind, he heals the blind. We see he doesn't condemn, we see he justifies. We see he doesn't punish, he saves, right? The whole world was already being punished. Sin is already punishing the world, guys. It doesn't need help from God. My goodness. Does that make any sense? You guys following that? The strength of God to war against death has now manifested inside of human flesh. Because we see the strength of God to take vengeance on death in the body of Jesus' resurrection. We, know, we don't think about it like this, but God was warring against death when he raised Jesus from the dead. That's what he was doing. He was taking vengeance on death because death was tormenting us. And so he was whooping death's butt when he raised Jesus from the dead. He was bullying the bully that was bullying us when he raised Jesus from the dead. And so, man, we see God's warfare against death in the body of Jesus' resurrection, and it comforts our hearts. We see God accomplished our warfare, and it heals our blindness. We see God judge the prince of this world in the ascension of Jesus to the Father's right hand, the prince of this world that was all the time accusing us, uncovering our nakedness. The Scripture says the prince of this world has been cast out now. How? Because God took the Son of Man and sat the Son of Man at the, His right hand, and He crushed the serpent's head. He took from the serpent the power of death that he had over us. And he kicked open the gates of Hades, which is the gates of hell. And he gave mankind the keys to heaven. Those are the keys of David. We were all locked up in death. The grave, the gates were closed. And what God come and did through the resurrection of Jesus is he kicked open the gate. And he busted everybody out of the grave. And he didn't just take, kick open the gate. He took back the keys. And so the gates of death cannot be locked on the children of God again. And now we have the keys of heaven. The prince of this world has been judged. What that means is I carry that judgment in my heart. And I walk in this earth knowing that I have the access to the life of God. That the life of God is in me. And I walk around in this earth declaring that life of God. That opens up heaven to all the people in unbelief. And when they see the life of God manifested, they see everlasting Father with them, accomplishing their warfare, 
and their sin is convicted. Their unbelief is removed because their sight's been healed. Hallelujah. When God raised Jesus from the dead, he was convicting the world of sin. John 17 describes it as the glorification of God. Where God would be glorified in our sight as Father. Do you know how to be glorified in, in our sight as Father? We were all dying. We needed a life that could overcome death. The only person, the only Father who could do that was God. And he showed up and in the resurrection gave us a life that overcomes death as a gift free from our works. That convicts us of unbelief. It convinces us we're not orphans and God is with us. Hallelujah. It says a great light has shined in the valley of those who are dwelling in darkness. You know what that great light is? Everlasting Father. <laughs> oh, man. You see the righteousness in the Father's heart towards you in the resurrection of Jesus. He's trying to tell you these are the thoughts in my heart towards your life. I know you think that I'm the one uncovering your nakedness. I know you think that I'm the one accusing you and condemning you. I know you think that I've despised you for your failures and your sin. I know you think that, but I'm about to show you what's in my heart towards your life. And I'm going to raise Jesus from the dead so you see it clearly and all the confusion be removed. You want to know what God has in his hands to give sinners? Behold the resurrection of Jesus. Because that's where we all were, dead in sin. And then he showed us what's in his hand to give us. It's a life that overcomes the grave. Now you start knowing God as Father. Now you stop living like an orphan. Now you, your laboring to have life is sent away from you. You start finding your life healed from the works of the flesh is what happens because you're no longer trying to father your own life, right? You see how that works? Glory to God. I tried to use as many examples as possible. Do you think you guys have a good picture of the conviction of sin there and what it's trying to do and how it's... If you're an orphan, you feel, you feel afflicted because you feel alone. And you know you don't have the ability to care for your own life. That's why you end up stealing and doing stuff like that, right? You end up doing stuff that you would never do. Well, God comes to comfort us from that affliction by showing us we're not orphans. And we have a father. And not only do we have a father, as nice as some of our earthly fathers may have been to us, if you happen to have one that was nice to you, I have one that was nice to me. But as, as nice as the best earthly father could be, none of those things could comfort you. The only thing that can comfort you is to see that God's your father and there's only goodness in his heart towards you. And he saw we were confused. And he said, once and for all, let's show these guys what we have to give them. Boom! The resurrection. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Father, for healing our sight. Thank you for healing our hearts. Thank you, Father, that your Holy Spirit is, is in us, even with us. 
that you have warred against the death that's in this world. Thank you, Father, that your Holy Spirit is in our hearts, actively taking vengeance against all the death that's in this world that we encounter. Thank you, Father, that your Holy Spirit is shining a light in all of the places in our hearts where we might not yet see you clearly as Father, bringing to light the, the revelation that you're the Father of every area of our life. Thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is putting our flesh to rest, that it's causing our hearts to be filled with the knowing that you're with us in all things and that you are serving us with life in all things. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Have a great Sunday. Thank you for eating cake with us. If you came in later, there's cake back there, guys. It's good cake.